G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is a special pre-finals rundown edition for want of a better phrase. As I say, very good evening to my Footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? I'm well. Happy Father's Day, Ro. Yes, and to you too. Yes. Do you have a nice one? Well, the us- I received the usual gift. Which was? Mm, nope. Pass. They passed. I got a uh, I got a lovely windsheeter from my son and my daughter. So thank you, David and Andrea, on the one in a million chance that you're listening to this. And uh, we had a lovely breakfast this morning at a very fine cafe called Mister Sister in Waverley Road, East Malvern. Uh, highly recommended if people are in the area and feel so inclined. I, I reckon you. I'm surprised you didn't have it at Mister Mister. No, they were a very ordinary band from the mid-80s. Or the Scissor Sisters. uh, No, Mr. Mr. Take These Broken Winds and uh, Kiri. Uh, Yes, better forgotten that. Uh, But speaking of food... That's right. If I had my druthers, I would have been celebrating, but not open on a Sunday. My Father's Day celebration would have been at Andrew's Hamburgers. It would have been one with the lot from the kids, and I would have gone the hand-cut chips and probably knocked it all over with a... Milkshake or maybe a Coca-Cola. Whatever it would have been, it would have been perfect. Well, it sounds like a very Father's Day type gift, doesn't it? Yeah, it would have been. hamburger. Yeah, but luckily, it's Father's Day and Mother's Day and Children's Day every day of the year at 144. Bridport Street, Albert Park. The best burgers in Australia. Who says so? Most of the blogs on burgers, most of the food foodie and the food critics defer back to Andrews, 80 years young this year. Not to mention the bun man- manufacturers. I'm a big purveyor of uh, of bread roll blogs, and there's surprisingly quite a few of them. No, it's not. I just made that up. <laughs> you, look like a, you look like somebody who knows his buns. I do, I do know my buns. I'll tell you what else I'm after, Finey. A family-friendly house. Have you got any recommendations? I do. If you're that way inclined... Look, a lot of people... Are, what, living in a house? No, like, that way inclined. That renovations, rebuilds, renewing, taking advantage of a quiet time in the property market to sell, but there's always money to be made in value-adding your property. And the past masters of, of this art is Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. They really are. They are. They've got two captains heading into the finals, optimistically. They have. And a, um, a legendary football writer who I'll actually be doing a bit of a uh, tutorial with tomorrow. Mike Sheehan, uh, I speak of. Oh, I didn't know who, who you were linking up with tomorrow. Yes, well, he, he's a Nick Spartels he is, man. He is indeed. He is. Because he's a man of impeccable taste. All right. Enough of this uh, plugging and uh, general... We're, we're plugger. We're the, we're the modern day pluggers. I was going to say general rooting around. Uh, we have eight finalists. We're all set to go. We're going to give you a bit of an analysis of each finalist. 
their strengths, their weaknesses, things they've got to look out for, uh, our likelihood of them going on to win the premiership. We're going to rank them all. Fine and I'll give our respective rankings. And we've got a couple of our usual segments to boot. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get cracking. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, well, let's start at the bottom of the eight. And I speak, of course, about my team. Finally, the Essendon Football Club finished in eighth spot on 48 points, 12 wins, 10 losses. Really up and down year for the Bombers. Uh, Started terribly, smashing at the hands of GWS, then lost to your Saints. Strung together three pretty impressive wins in a row against Melbourne, Brisbane, who they beat by 47 points at the MCG. Uh, smashed North Melbourne on uh, Good Friday, lost a classic to Collingwood on Anzac Day, and then their form really dipped again. Some pretty ordinary performances and a couple of relatively unimpressive victories. Uh, season looked on the line, really, when they lost to West Coast in Perth in round 14, but then came a string of inspiring comeback victories, all very, very close shaves. In fact, uh, of those five wins in a row, Four of them were by 10 points or less. All featured uh, comebacks at some stage from, in some cases, fairly hefty margins. Um, And uh, were looking all right, then proceeded to get thumped by Port Adelaide and then absolutely, well, torn a new one. In want of a better phrase by the Western Bulldogs, uh, that horrible night in which they kicked only one goal in three quarters of footy. Uh, sewed up finally their final spot with a good win in Perth over Fremantle and then a loss in the last round to Collingwood. Injuries have been a bit of a byword over the back half of the season. They'll get a few players back for the elimination final at Optus Stadium on Thursday evening against the Eagles, but absolutely no question they will go in fairly hefty outsiders. How have you seen their year? I think they can hold their heads up high. Making the eight is an achievement. And uh, you just have a look at some of the teams outside the eight that uh, consider themselves to have not had bad years and uh, aiming to make the finals over the next couple of seasons. And the fact that Essendon actually made the final eight, given the players they had available, I think is a meritorious effort. Look, they started the year with the worst possible news, and that is that their number one goal kicker, Spearhead, who had been so uh, stymied last year by injury. Joe D- Danaher was down again, and we didn't see jumping Joe in 2019. Well, you lose your... Well, we saw him for a few weeks, and a couple of those games well, he actually played really well. When I say we didn't see him, he was, he was um, unfortunately done by about round six, was that? Uh, yeah, he we... had that one game back. Oh, he, had a, he had a few. He played, uh, played good Friday against North. Yep. Played played really well on Anzac Day, kicked four. And was there one more game yeah, after Yeah, one that? more game after yep. that, and then it was so, season over. Curtains. And, and unfortunately, that therefore made other players' availability vital. And any week, say, that McKernan wasn't playing, Essendon were up against it. They also had very um, little return. When I say little return, they, they unfortunately didn't get the season out of Fantasia that they would have hoped. No Devon Smith, last year's best and fairest. This means that they go throughout the season relying on some new names. And I think that's where the greatest encouragement comes. And even heading into the finals, uh, Redman has arrived very quickly on the scene as a footballer and taken the position of Bagley, who's announced his retirement. And he's a very sturdy backman. The uh, the young run with player, Dylan Clark. 
excellent first season for him. Or not actually his first season, but break breakout season well, for him. First handful. Well, first game, he yep. completely nullified Patrick Cripps. No main achievement but at he, all. he was on the list last year, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's had a breakout season and will be very important during the finals because I think run with players are overlooked by some teams but remain an important an important tool for a coach. Now, for mine, it's all about momentum going into the finals and I think, and I'll analyse this for each of the sides, I think Essendon appreciate, will appreciate the bye. Obviously, they've been battling all year to put fit troops on the field and most noticeably, two key players in Heppel and Hurley. Now, if they can get onto the field during the finals in some decent nick, then Essendon could actually be fielding their best team of the year in the final series. Well, I'm pretty sure Hurley won't play this week. I'm pretty sure they will, however, get back Stringer, Heppel, Hooker and Fantasia. Fantasia is playing injured. He'll have surgery at the end of the year, so you've got to question how much use he will be. Hooker has been very, very sore. Um, Heppel has apparently got his foot injury under control, and Stringer has has had a, a really good season, I think. Look, just overall, I, I've got some stats here for all the clubs. I look at Essendon, though, and just statistically against all the other clubs, they just don't hold up in any category, really. I mean, take uh, scores for and against. So they've only got the 13th uh, highest ranked attack in terms of points scored. Points conceded, they only rank 12th. Uh, on the differentials for contested ball, they're only 13th. Uncontested ball, they're only 14th. Clearances, 13th. The one stat they're actually standing up well in is tackling. They're third on the differentials for tackling. Not necessarily a great sign, all those, because no, generally it, <clears throat> it means the op- opposition has the ball. Correct. Uh, only 14th for inside 50s and goals per inside 50, only 11th. So you look what, at all. Well, what does that tell you? Uh, well, they don't get the ball in there enough, and they don't. They're reasonably inefficient when they do get the ball in there. Yep. And this is why I think Mitch Brown has been a, a more important player than perhaps he should have been because he he leads hard up the ground and he gives them a target. And I think too often Essendon have fallen into the trap of just bombing the ball in there and hoping a McKernan or a Brown or a Hooker when he was up there would take the grab. Uh, also very dependent on their forward half pressure and, and thus when Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody plays well, Essendon usually plays well. Um, look, you know, it's been a real hang-in-there type season, and I think they've shown welcome resilience. I just don't think they're good enough to go too far. In fact, to be honest, I don't think they're good enough to win this first final in Perth. So we'll, we'll wrap them up. I'll, uh, we'll give a, prob- a flag probability ranking. Yep. Uh, for me, Essendon are eighth. I agree. They're eighth. The draw... The finals draw has not favoured them. West Coast's loss makes it difficult for them. Travelling there is the hardest of the first week assignments for anybody, I believe. But those numbers do tell me one thing, that really when you're ranked 13th, 14th in most categories, you shouldn't make the eight. And it tells me that the times when Essendon do get it right, they're pretty irresistible. They haven't been able to sustain it necessarily, but they obviously can win games with bursts and periods of very hard-to-play-against football. Now, can they tap into that throughout the finals? I don't know. I don't. I rank them eighth. I really don't give them a great chance of advancing. And what does concern me is all this coach talk 
for a finals team seems inappropriate. So there is a back, there is a sort of a backstory that I don't like for Essendon heading into the finals. They have won against the odds uh, before this season, but it'll take a similar, a similarly credible performance, I think, to advance past week one. All right, let's talk about the side that finished seventh. Okay, let's talk about the Western Bulldogs. And a bit of deja vu going on here. Finey uh, finished seventh on the ladder. That might ring a bell because that's where they finished in 2016 before launching that incredible assault on an amazing Premiership one in 2016. Uh, Funny sort of season for them. Uh, Season of two halves, it's fair to say. Didn't start very well at all. Won their first couple, but then proceeded to lose four in a row, including to Gold Coast. And there's another... Result which looks uh, like a real anomaly now. In fact, after round 11, they had only won four games. They were four and seven and then proceeded to go 8-3 over the second half of the season, including winning four of the last five and the sole loss um, in that string by only 18 points up at the Gabba against Brisbane. So even that one, a credible effort. I've been, again, doing a bit of number crunching. There's a real... um, There are signs of 2016, but there is a real discrepancy or a complete contrast, in fact, to 2016. Do you know what it might be? Well, certainly the number of players they've used would be very different because they went through a lot of players in 2016. Well, it's about scoring. Um, In 2016, uh, a a big key to their success was their very miserly... Not just back six, but their defensive qualities. Um, they finished third in the competition for fewest points conceded in 2016. They weren't a big scoring side. They only finished 12th for points scored, and that's one of the lowest rankings for a premiership side we've ever seen. The figures this year are almost completely flipped on their head in, to the point they are third in the competition for points scored, yep. and they're only 13th for points conceded. What yep. does that say to you? Well, obviously, it's a very different side with a different coaching philosophy. The fact is, and it's interesting because really they had headed into this season with a very questionable forward line. Aaron Norton had never played forward before, and I mean ever, and Josh Shackey was considered to be a fluker's chance only, but they are able, with a midfield that hits the scoreboard regularly, and the emergence of Bailey Dale to carve out big scores. And it, it, I guess the sense now that to win a premiership, you're not going to do it by kicking 60 points, has really taken Luke Beveridge, and he's run with that. And this is a side now that rolls forward, looks to score, get Bontempelli in scoring positions, and they're midfielders, and that's where their strength lies. They've got powerful high-possession winning midfielders, and if they use it well, they invariably get more than 15 goals 10, the well, magical 100 points. You'd say with Norton and Shackey, they're probably, you know, as sort of uncredentialed or, um, uh, yeah, uncredentialed as they are, they've probably got more key position uh, stocks there than they had in 2016. We shouldn't sell Sam Lloyd shot either. He, he no, lo- no. He loves a goal, has been a great pickup. Well, I was going to say, one thing they did have in 2016 was a sort of a martyr of medium-sized goal kickers, didn't they? And Dale has become one of them, yep. and uh, Sam Lloyd has become one of yep. them. So, And even Tory Dixon has 
remained a with his beautiful goal kicking a valuable member of the team. Yeah, absolutely. And in contrast to Essendon, uh, the Bulldogs statistically stack up pretty well, uh, apart from the for and against which I mentioned before. As you said, they they just get their hands on the footy a heap. Uh, Bontempelli, McRae. Dunkley. Uh, Dunkley, three of the highest possession winners in the competition, finished third for disposals on the differentials, um, which is disposals for minus disposals against. Uh, they're about mid-table for contested ball. They're second for uncontested possession, so when they get it on the outside, they can really up and away, and, and we see the likes of Jason Johannesson are, are so critical playing those sort of roles. They're solid in clearances, sixth, fifth for tackles, um, second for inside 50s. Uh, in fact, Port Adelaide, number one, and we talked about that last week, just don't convert. So they get enough opportunities going forward. Again, and this was a bit of an issue for them in 2016 too, but for a side that ranks second for inside 50s, they're only ranked ninth for goals per inside 50. So conversion continues to be a bit of an issue for them. I think ultimately for them, it's going to come down to how... Tim English performs as a ruckman because if he can get them, at, you know, sort of break even in the ruck and give those prolific ball winners midfield first use and thus the chance of getting clean, quick entries inside 50, they're going to be a really difficult proposition, I reckon. Look, they're healthy. They Their prime movers are primed and ready to go. The emergence of Norton as the leading contested mark taker in the comp or first or second has been a, just a real boon for them. They, unfortunately, in contrast to their premiership year and Essendon, would not have enjoyed the bye because momentum's everything heading mm. into the finals. And I just think that they are in this zone coming into the last week of the home and away season where they just have become very, very difficult to beat. Two weeks later, I think it's, it's unfair, and this is something I know that you are very aware of and have written a great article about on Footyology, the website. And it seems unfair that they have to regroup almost. And they beat GWS so convincingly away from home only three or four weeks ago. I just fear that I, I hope that they don't head into the finals thinking that the first week is taken care of because they're better than GWS. GWS would probably welcome the chance to avenge that loss. It's going to be more difficult than people think, but they are, we've seen it. We've seen them do it. They are a team when when up and about hard to beat and they are somehow reliving and rekindling the spirit of 2016, which may, for me puts them about fifth in line to win the flag. Yeah, and just on that too, I mean, as much as I think that finals experience and grand finals experience and whatever is less of a necessary attribute than it used to be, but it's still pretty handy. And as much as we talk about the changing of the guard at the Bulldogs, and they have sort of changed in nature and changed quite a bit of personnel, there are still a considerable amount of number of yeah. players who were part of that 2016 success. And I think that will hold them in very good stead. Um, and you do need a champion to win a flag, and they have that in Bontempelli. Yeah. So where have you... You've got them fifth. fifth yes. Okay. I Look, I haven't been that generous. I've got them sixth. I mean, for all this, I still think it will be very hard to come from the bottom half of the eight. Easier than it used to be for what you were, the reasons you were just talking about, but still a difficult ask against quality teams at the top of the ladder. But 
put it this way, I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to go into even a preliminary final. That wouldn't surprise me overly. All right, there's enough on the Western Bulldogs. Time now to talk about the sixth team on the AFL ladder. Okay, finishing sixth on the ladder this season, GWS with 13 wins and nine losses. Interesting season for the Giants, and I think our opinions of them tended to wax and wane on a a weekly basis. And you have a look at their win-loss line, and it's very, very up and down. Um, Strung three wins together twice. Uh, The second lot of three, a couple of really narrow victories there against Port Adelaide and Sydney, both of whom were struggling at the time. And a couple of runs of losses too. One sequence of three losses in a row against Essendon, Brisbane and Richmond. So three finals opponents at least. Injuries again, a bit of a byword for the Giants as they seem to have been uh, ever since they made that first preliminary final back in 2016. Um, I find them as hard to assess as any side in the eight, to be honest, because I still have in the back of my mind the feeling that when it clicks for them, it really clicks in a big way. They can be very potent up forward with, obviously, the Coleman medalist in Jeremy Cameron. Um, I think Harry Himmelberg, we've seen him bob up and kick four goals in a preliminary final, so he's not shy of the big occasion. And I think Toby Green, we all know what a wonderful player he is. He's played a, a more in midfield of uh, the second half of the season, but uh, you'd hope with a few players coming back, he'd be able to go back to that sort of small forward role, pushing up into midfield. So their best is very, very good. I'm just very wary of their ability to be able to produce that for what would have to be four weeks in a row. They got a great Philip uh, of all the teams in the bye week that can point to something positive, they got the most positive news of all, the recommitment to the club by Stephen Canilio for seven years. You could see by the footage available really was, you know, a great timing was great and, and a good kick along heading into the finals but unfortunately... Gee, more positive still would be the news that he was fit. <laughs> I was going to say, but unfortunately that's good news for the future, not for the immediate uh, problem at hand which is playing finals football. Maybe if they made the grand final, there could be a miracle. But essentially for the finals campaign, they don't have arguably their best or equal best player. Kelly, who's a great footballer, has had a stop and start season. On the positive side, Toby Green has built great momentum and form heading into the finals as a midfielder as well as a high half forward. Cameron is like the girl with the curl. He can be very good or he can be a little bit unsighted. They're a side that I think, because of the wealth of talent still on their list, made the making the finals was no great achievement. It's probably six is just about the bare minimum, because it was this year, I believe. Is this their eighth season? Uh, Two twelve. So yes, it is. I believe that this was the year that they were penned in to win their first flag. Yeah, that was the plan. Mm. Now. Of course, that didn't allow for a player drain and some star players not being there. Nevertheless, they have gone backward this season, and really, it would take a real. It would take something that they have not been able to achieve all year, which is consistent good football against top teams, for them to win the flag. And for that reason, 
I put them seventh in line. Well, again, um, you know, I don't want to harp on about the stats, but they, they are very sound statistically, which is another thing that just makes me think, well, don't dismiss them. Um, on the differentials, they're first for disposals, they're second for contested ball, first for uncontested ball. So that's a, a great balance, ranking one or two in both inside and outside midfield work. Second for clearances, about mid-table for tackles. Interestingly, only 11th for inside 50 entries. So for all that possession, they can tend to squander it a bit. They are very efficient with what entries they do uh, generate, though they rank third for goals per inside 50. So um, that's a big tick for their efficiency when it does get in that inside 50. I think they need to generate a bit of run. Look, in terms of personnel... um, Certainly for this first final, uh, no Cornelio and Deledio unlikely as well. But Green will be there. I think Hopper will be there. Langdon will be there. Haynes apparently is a an outside chance yep. um, after what was a potentially very serious larynx injury. I mean, Hopper's important. He's, he's oh, he is. Much of the last month. Well, Hopper comes in. You think Green gets to play that small forward, dangerous goal-kicking role. So, yep. um, look, they're very capable. I, I just... I do question their resilience at times. I reckon, and maybe we're thinking this because of what happened um, a couple of times late in the season, and they did win their last game by 72 points. It was, however, against Gold Coast, which by then had become almost an asterisk. asterisk. And the two games before, they got smashed by Hawthorne in the snow, and uh, they got smashed by the Bulldogs at home. Um, and the Hawthorne game is in Canberra as well. And other losses throughout the year too. The one that sticks in my mind is uh, round five in Canberra when they lost to Fremantle. You know, that at the time. Yep. Uh, on the flip side of that, the week before that Fremantle be- loss, they beat be Geelong, Geelong at yeah. Geelong. So again, you know... They're... It's, uh, that sort of backs up, I think, my theory that they don't have not shown the ability to consistently play well against top teams. So how can they win a flag from... That position they're in. No, I agree with that. Well, let's have a look who they've knocked off. They've, they've knocked off Essendon. They knocked over a, an injury-crippled Richmond, but did that you know, with some sort of panache. They've beaten Geelong. Uh, who are some of the other wins they've got there? None of them are finalists. Uh, knocked over Collingwood. Uh, Collingwood, again, were injury-hit at the time. But they've knocked over four finalists. So yep. I don't question them on a one-off basis, I question their capacity to string four performances like that together. So uh, where have you got them in the probability premiership probability ranking? I have them at seventh. Now, the, I have them at seventh as The well. reason I do is, I mean, numbers are great and I'm, they're certainly um, a wonderful way and I'm very pleased you went and did the homework, mate, to line those teams up. I look at football as... A West Coast Eagles, a Richmond, a Collingwood, facing GWS in the finals, they would run down the race, the 22 against them, and think, we can crack this nut. We are going to be at them for the entire game, and at some point, they, they're going to blink. They're, the, they're to me, the side most, most susceptible to the cauldron that is finals football, and when your opposition knows that, you're going to face it, and eventually, maybe sooner rather than later, It'll be their undoing. All right, so seventh for you in terms of flag probability, seventh for me as well. Let's talk about the team that finished the home and away rounds fifth. (laughs) 
Right, time to talk about West Coast and uh, what a costly defeat that last round home loss against Hawthorne proved to be. Cost them a top four spot and um, for them, probably more so than anyone else, that may well be the difference between winning a flag or not. Uh, Finished the season in fifth place as a result with 15 wins and seven losses. Missed out on the top four on percentage. I think most people would argue um, the reigning Premier, there was a feeling for much of the season like they weren't sort of getting out of second gear. They couldn't, uh, injuries were were a factor, but um, they couldn't quite sort of string it all together. They did on the odd occasion. There were several games during the year when they just looked absolutely awesome, I thought, and they had a couple of pretty tough sort of slogging wins too, generally on the road, which I thought held them in good stead, but... Every time they'd get on a bit of a roll, then there'd be a surprising reversal to wit. Um, the first game of the season against Brisbane at the Gabba, when they actually led really well early on and then got completely steamrolled by the Lions. Won three in a row on end after that. They managed to lose by seven goals at home to Port Adelaide. Got smashed by Geelong down at Canadian Park by uh, 10 goals. Then strung together five in a row. Then got belted by Sydney at the SCG by 45 points, put a few more wins together, lost that uh, game against Collingwood, which ultimately looks to be a pretty critical result. Had they won that game, they would have ended up with, uh, what, eight wins on end. And like I said, to the second last round, a, a, a you know a gallant sort of honourable loss to Richmond at the MCG by only a kick, but uh, very, very costly home defeat against Hawthorne, Finey, how have you assessed the Eagles this season? That last round came out of the blue. It just shows that no team can get ahead of themselves. And it, I, I felt that game at the MCG against Richmond, I was watching the two best teams in the comp by a long way. Brilliant game of good football. Obviously could have gone either way. Outstanding match. And I, like most others, thought they would go back to Western Australia and take care of Hawthorne and be well-placed with a double chance. They've lost that, but doesn't take away from the fact that they, I believe, can still play premiership-winning football. How far they go in the finals, well, it's interesting. Do they roll the dice and play Natanui? I, I, I would say they shouldn't, unless he's absolutely convince them that he can run out a game full steam. And that means not playing Hickey because Oscar Allen can take the second ruck duties, but I don't believe Natanui can ruck long enough to be effective without Hickey playing. I reckon they can do both. I reckon they can play both of them. What it would mean is they'd have to sacrifice uh, Jake Waterman, who's played the last few games. But I, I think they can do I think it's worth a gamble because I think... Nat do, Nui. do you think they need to play him to win the flag? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, 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 think, I don't. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's a little push over the cliff they need. Well, they didn't last year as it transpired, but last year they were top four yeah. and won the first final and got a home preliminary final as well. They're going to need something a bit extra. Like, if they could play as well as they played in the finals last year and this year, because of the road they have to travel, I don't think it would be quite enough. So they need a little bit more X factor, I think, and he certainly provides that. I think you can. I think you can. I think you can alternate him in the ruck and up forward, and Hickey can 
take the rest of the ruck. I think, you know, it means Waterman comes out. I'd certainly be leaving Oscar Allen in the side. I think he's been a real plus for them. They're not too tall then with them and Darling and Kennedy? No, because they're mobile. They're mobile. You know, Darling and Kennedy are very mobile okay. tall forwards, and I think that's a, a bigger pro than it is a con. Oh, look, it's certainly a valid debate, and if it, you know, it's one of those no-win situations where if they lose and he doesn't play really well, everyone will say, well, that's they should never have gone that way, and if it does come off for him, though, it'll look like a stroke of genius. Just statistically on the Eagles, um, fifth for points scored, sixth for fewest points conceded. Very low. Uh, they're an unusual team. Well, they sort of go against the grain to a lot of team in terms of they're, they're not a big contested ball team. In fact, they're ranked second last on the differentials. That's not a huge priority. Outside run, they're not huge. They rank 15th. Uh, decent clearance team, fourth for clearances. Uh, defensively, second for tackles. They don't necessarily generate a lot of forward opportunities. This is the big one for them. 15th for inside 50s, but they are ranked number one for goals per inside 50. So when it gets there, they score goals, and that's a a testament to the effectiveness of, well, mainly Jack Darling. Kennedy's had a, yeah, it hasn't been a great season by him, and injury's been part of that. Um, but beautiful complementary plays that are hard to man up against. I know you're a big fan of Rioli. Ryan is brilliant and very difficult to play on. Yep. Cripps is a, a, a very effective goal-kicking forward as well. Yep, Tom Byron. Um, the other big uh, selection decision they've got to make too is on Mark Hutchings, who mm-hmm. uh, people will say, Mark Hutchings. But, I mean, the run with roles he played last year were critical, particularly in the grand final on steel side bottom, the prolific steel side bottom. So I think he will definitely miss the first final, is a chance for the second one should they survive. However, like I said, they keep coming back to the road they're going to have to travel. So if they knock over Essendon, they face either a trip, another trip to Melbourne, a trip to Brisbane and a trip to Melbourne, or another three trips to Melbourne. You know, it, it's... It's not to be sneezed at, and I know their record on the road is terrific over the last couple of years, but three weeks in a row, that's a really tall order. It is. Their record at the MCG is very impressive. I have them still ranked second in my list of probable premiers because Uh, I believe that they are the team that can play the second-best football and the one that can challenge my number one. Well, so do I. I, uh, they were my pre-season premiership tip. I was, I've said this before, staggered how few people were prepared to back them to win the flag again. Had they not lost that last game to Hawthorne and stayed top four, I would still have them as my premiership or in premiership likelihood. I'd still have them number one. But I'm with you. I, you know, I think they're certainly good enough to give it a really serious shake. I just think if you're talking probability and they come up against a, you know, a seasoned match fit, fresh Richmond side on the MCG. That's as hard as it gets in footy. And you'd want to have had the perfect sort of preparation in which you hadn't had to travel too much. So that, for me, is the difference between making them number one or number two. But like you, uh, absolutely not to be disregarded in flag terms. Second best, best fancy for me. All right, let's talk about the top four now. Let's start with the side that snuck their way into fourth spot. All right, finally, time to talk about the Magpies, who ended up in fourth spot on the ladder thanks to a last-round victory 
and a last-round stumble by West Coast. The cards certainly fell the pies way. They finished in fourth on percentage, 15 wins, seven losses, and uh, about 5% ahead of West Coast in the finish. Interesting season for the pies. Injuries again, and uh, it seems to be a constant theme for the... The Pies didn't stop them almost winning a flag last year, but injuries again were a byword for them. I think it's fair to say the form they showed in the first half of the season overall probably more solid than the second half of the season. Lost their first game narrowly to Geelong. Um, lost a pretty high standard game to West Coast at the MCG in round three. Uh, a lot of wins either side of those, though. In fact, they won seven in a row between rounds four and rounds ten. And that took in the Bulldogs, Brisbane, Essendon, Port Adelaide, Carlton, St Kilda and Sydney. A couple of close shaves there, but they were able to win the close ones this year. Had a real slump over um, that sort of bye period, didn't they? Uh, got fixed up by North Melbourne. At Marvel Stadium, round 15, that was probably their least impressive performance. Stitched up by GWS in round 18 by 47 points, but got back on an even curl. Had a couple of soft kills, which probably helped, didn't they? They beat up on Gold Coast, beat Melbourne, not overly impressively, beat Adelaide in reasonably convincing style. That was a pretty good win, that one, and then did what it took against Essendon in round 23. Nonetheless, good enough to uh, take the double chance spot. How do you see their 2019? It's been very hard to work out what their the makeup of their team is going to be, and it's obviously changed uh, mainly because of injury. At the start of the year, they were continuing on with what served them so well in the finals last year, Mason Cox and Majacek up forward, but Mason Cox really didn't fire this year, and ultimately an eye injury ended his season early. And just in time... A, another stop-start year for the injury-prone Jamie Elliott came good in the last month. And all of a sudden, a Myocek-led Mosquito Fleet-type forward line looks quite dangerous, with Elliott in good form. Thomas, the prospect of Dugowie returning, Stevenson will return. Of course, he had the one controversial game in the VFL, and how ready he'll be for finals football remains to be seen, but they'll certainly play him. The midfield has enough talent in it, we know that. Pendlebury finished the year off very well in the home and away season. Trelaw continues, as he is the number one possession winner in the competition, to get the ball. And they get able help. Interesting to see Chris Main running through the midfield in the last couple of weeks. Crisp has been a good player for them. They, interestingly, probably need all of their injury-prone players fingers crossed for Collingwood supporters, to come through unscathed. And will that happen? Well, it hasn't happened so far. So I'm talking Darcy Moore. I'm talking you know, about Elliot, Tom, you know, Dugowie, and, and just players that have been important to them but haven't been able to take the field every week. I think we've seen that they would need to be at full strength to give this a genuine rattle, let alone, you know, even to win the first week of the finals. I'll tell you where they've been really underestimated, I think, defensively. I mean, we talk about the midfield, the glittering names in midfield, and we, you've talked rightly about the forward setup, which has got better and better towards the end of the season. But they've been really... I mean, they're second for fewest points conceded this season. Now, when I 
looked that up, it actually surprised me. But uh, to that end, Jordan Roughhead has been a, a terrific pickup for them. You mentioned Crisp. He's had a, another outstanding season. Jeremy Howe has been really solid as well. They did, did play that slightly cautious, when I say cautious brand of football, that, that slower retention of retention game, and a lot of their games are not high scoring. I understand that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, to, to that end, Langdon, Tom Langdon has been a significant loss for them. But, yes. they, you know, they've had to... They've had to sort of make do at times, having lost defenders. Scharenberg's another one who's come back and, and played solid footy. But it's also a bit of a, um, a feather in the cap of the midfield group, who a few years back, you know, pr- even prior to last year really, were regularly criticised for not working hard enough defensively. Well, that clearly has changed, and that number, I think, really proves that. And uh, they stack up on both the inside and outside as a midfield group too. It's not just the names. They... Um, Number two on the differentials for disposals. Third for contested and uncontested possession. Not a huge clearance winning side. Seventh for inside 50s. And this year, and this has been a bit of an issue for them too, they've been uh, a better converting side this season. So they rank fourth for goals, um, percentage of goals from inside 50 entries. I think uh, the next thing I'm going to say, there are pros and cons here. You look at names to return. It doesn't get a lot better than Dugowie and Stevenson in terms of uh, raising the ante for the um, potency of that forward setup, does it? The downside, that neither has played much footy, or Stevenson hasn't played footy for half a season. Dugowie has missed a lot of footy recently. Can you expect them to come in and not only click individually, but to gel with the other guys in that forward setup? And we see this happen a bit, don't we? I mean, Collingwood last year ended up with a, a vastly different forward setup to the one they envisaged going into the season with. But they basically stuck with it, and um, they became a really tight group and a really effective uh, team within a team. When the names sort of change, and even if you've got you know good names coming back, the lack of football, does it upset the harmony of the group that is going well there at the present time? Elliot hasn't been a factor, wasn't a factor last year, did Dugowie and Stevenson come back and manage to develop a bit of a synergy with Jamie Elliott? Now, you know, ideally you look at the names and you think it's just a, um, you know, it's it's the icing on the cake. But there is the potential for that to work negatively as well, I think. And, you know, I certainly hope it's not the case for them because they came so close last season. I Again, I, I find them a bit difficult to read. I, I think their best is very capable. I don't think they're quite as good as a couple of other teams there. Now, having said that, they fixed up Brisbane at the Gabba. Yes, it was fairly early in the season. Um, they ran Geelong close. You know, they'll. it's going to be a really tight qualifying final. I just can't, given the disruption to the personnel, um, I can't sort of have them on the same level as others in this uh, final series. So I've got them in order of premiership probability. I've got them ranked fourth. So do I. That is a bit of an open-ended position because I think fourth rightfully suggests that if things go right, they could go all the way. They've got a lot of forwards now who want to finish the business, who would consider themselves multiple goal-kicking, match-winning forwards. You make a very good point. How will that all work? There needs to be ball retention in the forward line. Do Dugowie, Stevenson, Elliott, have the appetite for doing that 
that was a criticism of Dugowie. Just as the world was acclaiming him as a superstar, people were also noting that his work back the other way wasn't necessarily what it could be. So it's going to take a great deal of discipline because they can't all have big nights, but they can if they work towards the team goal, which would be retaining the ball in that forward line. I think it does thin out a little bit down the bottom end for Collingwood. Now, I don't know what their numbers are like, but, I mean, young Brown has shown glimpses, but we're talking finals football here. I doubt that Noble will hold his spot in the team. Dacos just on the fringes. Their big weapon is the best ruckman in the comp. Grody stands tall. Uh, Grundy, I should say, stands tall. Actually, I don't mind Grody. Go with that. <laughs> I put them at fourth because I don't think that they could go into any final. Literally no game would I see them as being a hands-down, clear winner in. So no. they're going to have to claw their way through three or four games of footy. Yep. No, ditto for me. Fourth for me as well. Okay, let's talk about third. Okay, Richmond finishing third on the ladder prior to this final series. Uh, 16 wins and six defeats to the Tigers. So equal in terms of wins with the top two teams of the competition, just a bit behind second on percentage, 113.7 the Tigers' percentage. Uh, Again, interesting year, and uh, I think a year in which um, resilience has been the key and and, uh, depth has been the key. They had an incredibly bad run with injuries early in the season. It started, of course, in the very first game when Alex Rance went down clutching his knee not to return. And uh, at one stage, though, without every member of that um, traditional Fab Four, weren't they, uh, in, in the midfield, um, they lost Jack Rewalt for a spell. Uh, Lynch and Rewalt didn't get to sort of team up as a duo until quite late in the piece, and yet they found a way, and they discovered some more really good players along the way. Um, we've seen uh, Chole acquit himself well as a big man. Of course, the, the biggest find, I guess, of the season, no doubt, Sydney Stack, uh, good enough to finish third in the Rising Star during the week on the back of that. A very, very exciting talent indeed. Injured, unfortunately, but still some chance to play some sort of role this final series. But they are premiership favourite, and that's for a number of reasons. They've won nine games on the trot, so their form is as good as anyone's. We know they've been there and done that. And, um, I mean, look, bottom line, they've been the best side of the last three years, haven't they? When you look at a a three-year time period, they've been clearly the best side of the last three seasons. Um, Probably the best side in it in terms of performance last year without, unfortunately, getting even into a grand final courtesy of a preliminary final slip-up. But uh, this could be the year of atonement for the Tigers. Let's start at the very top there. Irresistible force, Dustin Martin, hits this final series in much better condition than he hit the final series last year. I've always thought with Richmond, if the other 21 players can break even, they're going to win because Martin is a dominant force, powering through the midfield, getting forward and kicking goals, lifting his team when it matters. They've got Lynch now up forward, who's just hit his straps at the right time. Rewalt and he seem to have a good relationship going. Their half-back run and intercept work is par excellence with Floston, Edwards and Hawley. 
I don't think they've really missed a lot with the absence of Rance. Grimes has stepped up wonderfully well. Asprey has remained his faithful deputy. They now have the option of playing Nan Curvis. Interesting to see which way they go. Soldo was excellent in the final round of the year. It's all systems go for a team that didn't quite get the timing right last year. With that knowledge firmly implanted in Damien Hardwick's mind, I think they hit the finals in perfect nick with a little bit of improvement still to come. My clear number one pick. I I think they, uh, more than any other side, sort of define the way they play football is the way finals generally are played. You know, they're they're not pretty, they're tough. They deny, they strangle, they make it so difficult on the MCG for teams to get out of the pockets or off the wing. They just trap them there. Well, they just swarm teams, don't they, with, with physical and, in the end, psychological pressure. Actually, I'd like to see the... Um, should, I should mention Dion Prestia, what brilliant form he's in. He's had an outstanding season. I'd, I'd like to see the figures for um, goals sc- scored from turnovers regular season and then for finals because I suspect it, it goes up a fair bit again. It's just a great finals brand of footy and it, you know, it defies, again, some accepted norms about how good you need to be in various categories statistically. Uh, to be a contender, although, you know, very solid. Sixth for uh, points scored, fourth for fewest points conceded. On the differentials, though, only 16th for contested ball, 12th for uncontested ball, 16th for clearances, number one in the competition for tackles on the differentials. They uh, do get plenty of opportunities up forward, ranked third for inside 50s. Not necessarily a great converting side, but uh, if you've got Lynch and Rewalt both big occasion players, that's really going to help you in the white-hot heat, white-hot heat of Best type. A, a, a finals series. Um, yeah, look, I, I think they've really, uh, what, do I mean to say franked their form? You know, look, we there were still, I guess, question marks. Some people still had question marks about them as a lasting entity after they won the flag. They were dispelled very quickly last year, but then they had that, horrible laps when they could least afford it um, and people do tend to have short memories but uh, they are by some measure again as I said before the best side of the last three years they're hitting their best form at the perfect time they're getting in terms of availability they're uh, yeah it's all running for them again which is pretty similar to what happened in 2017 and of course if they win this first final at the Gabba um, they'll be uh, at the MCG for the remaining what would be two games on their way to a flag. How would you, f- if they were to lose the qualifying final at the Gabba to Brisbane, would you still give them a chance? Absolutely. Yeah, I would too. They, unfortunately, not unfortunately, yeah, actually quite um, enticingly and, and fascinatingly, have to play Brisbane away from home after having a, a tussle with them in the final round of the season in a game that matters, I still think that they had something in reserve there. And the challenge of Brisbane's was snuffed out quite effectively. I don't think they're scared to travel anywhere. They, to me, are cherry ripe. And add other players, the likes of Kane Lambert, Castagna, they're such clever footballers, aren't they? Incidentally, uh, one big selection decision that needs to be made is in the ruck. 
Now, Toby Nankervis. Well, I, said, I said Nankervis or Soldo, who played yeah. well in that last game. Yeah, well, I, I had the, um, boy, if anyone watched the VFL final yesterday between Richmond Lesson and uh, did Nankervis play an amazing last quarter of footy, just completely dominated the game. So uh, I suspect they probably will roll the dice in his favour on that question. No no doubt in my mind at all, they are very big chance. So they're your number one. Yes, clearly. They are clearly my number one as well. All right, number three on the ladder. Let's talk about team number two. All right, finishing the 2019 home and away rounds, second on the ladder. And I wonder what price he could have got on this preseason. Brisbane, none other than Brisbane. 16 wins, six losses, and the second best percentage in the competition, 118.3. A remarkable rise up the ladder from the Chris Fagan coach Lions, who have become a bit of an irresistible force at times, uh, strung together. A fantastic sequence of eight wins. Was it eight or nine? Hang on, three, six. It was actually nine wins on end before losing that final home and away game to Richmond at the MCG and losing it pretty credibly, you've got to say. Started off brilliantly fine. He doesn't get a lot better than knocking over the reigning Premier, which they did at home in round one. They then knocked over North Melbourne in round two. Knocked over Port Adelaide round three. Had a uh, pretty ordinary day against Essendon at the MCG. And I reckon uh, the following week, after Collingwood bowled them over by 62 points at the Gabba, I wasn't the only person saying, ah, well, it was good while it lasted, thinking a Gold Coast-style demise was imminent. Well, anything but, as it turned out. They uh, rebounded very strongly with a couple of wins. Lost a couple more over the ensuing month or so, but uh, in very close finishes. Really stiff to lose to Fremantle over in Perth with a uh, a point after the siren by Michael Walters. And then in the second half of the season, got on a roll. The win that kick-started that was over your mob, finally. 56 points against St Kilda at Marvel Stadium. Charlie Cameron absolutely superb in that game. And uh, they just went to another level after that. Beat Melbourne by 33 points. Beat GWS by 20 points on the Giants' home ground. Port Adelaide by eight goals. Beat North Melbourne. Uh, beat Hawthorne comfortably. Beat the Bulldogs. Gold Coast again absolutely thumped in. And then, of course, that amazing comeback win against Geelong at home in the penultimate home and away game of the season. Second on the ladder, a home final to move straight into a preliminary final. Who would have thought it would be an absolute fairy tale? Can it come true? I don't think so. I've got them rated down as number six in likelihood of winning the flag. And I know that's pretty tough, but it's a... And we know that finals experience is invaluable. It's a whole new season that starts next weekend or Thursday night. And finals football is another step up for this exciting... Not young team. There are plenty of older players in there doing their role from Hodge downwards. It's an interesting mix. What I don't totally rely on is that forward line. Eric Hipwood is spasmodic, let's be honest. And it's very hard for small forwards, sometimes in finals, to recreate the brilliance that took them through the season. We've seen that in previous years. The upside for them, of course, is great self-belief. They maintain this very good run with injury. Brilliant form of their midfielders in Zorko and Neil. 
McLuggage has been great and a really good defender in Harris Andrews. I was a little concerned with how Marcus Adams got taken apart by Rewalt in the last week of the finals mm. of the home and away season. Uh, steps up again. They're playing the best team in the comp first week of the finals. And a loss would leave them, you know, uh, reaching, reaching for the um, heart palpitation, heart pills, you know, because they're then back in the ruck. And I, I just feel this wonderful season of theirs gets retested, re-examined at a higher level during the finals. I've been surprised by them. Look, I was so impressed by them against St Kilda. That's when I really realised they were a very good team. But is this team ready to take this huge step from making the finals into being a serious player? I say not quite yet. I've got them sixth in line. I suspect that, uh, well, two things. I suspect how they fare in the finals campaign, it will be determined in this first final at home. I think they have to win it to be a chance. I can't see them getting out of it if they lose it. Um, The other thing is, I I wonder if that second last home and away game against Geelong, now everyone focuses on the last 15 minutes. when They they, were not great that day. Well, no, they weren't. What I was going to say was, though, the brand of football they played, it was a very defensive-orientated game. And Geelong and Brisbane both uh, avoided studiously the corridor, um, played very safe football, and they were sort of testing each other out a bit. I think Brisbane is, you know, people see them as a free-running, exciting, high-scoring team, and they are. They were the highest-scoring team in the competition this year. Um, They're not... I think they're reasonably solid defensively as well. They they were seventh for fewest points conceded. They're fourth for contested possession, so they they can win the hard ball, and that, over the years, has been a chronic flaw of of Brisbane, so they've really addressed that seriously and done pretty well. They're about mid-table for clearances. Um, they get plenty of opportunities inside that 50. They rank fourth for inside 50s. And they're not a bad side in terms of conversion, ranked sixth for goals per inside 50. So they stack up okay on those levels. I think they're going to have to find the right balance between trying to mix that sort of or match that sort of hard nut type football with whoever they're playing in the finals, a la Richmond, with trying to... <laughs> They're trying to beat them anyway, but trying to uh, win playing their game of footy, their preferred brand of footy, which should be to get it to the outside and really bring the uh, the small forwards and goal-kicking midfielders into play. Now, in the Geelong game, they were actually able to flick the switch when it mattered and come over the top of the Cats. It's a very fine balance, though, and I'm not sure, say, a Richmond or a West Coast would let you do that to the extent Geelong did that day. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. I sort of hope that they, to me, it would be a more daring exercise if they didn't sort of go into this final going, okay, we've got to play a very tough, gritty, uh, you know, doer sort of brand. I want to, I want them to see them really try and take the finals on and see if they can win with a more attacking brand of footy, which perhaps comes at some risk in terms of leaking scores, but maybe simply outgun their opposition. I think that that is their best chance. I don't think that they can win by trying to go toughness for toughness with the likes of Richmond and Collingwood. I think they have to find another way to win, and that's my hope. That would be, I think, uh, very much a victory for football as well as for Brisbane. 
So you've got them ranked where? Seventh? Sixth. Sixth. I've got them fifth um, because I think, you know, you finish top four, you're one win away from a preliminary final, and uh, I think they're a, a massive chance against Richmond. I don't underestimate that at all. And if they were to win that first final going to a preliminary final, they'd have to be significantly higher than fifth or sixth. However, whatever transpires from here, it has been an incredible season, and they have certainly been one of the highlights of the 2019 season. I just I've, uh, interesting watch on Mitch Robinson. You know, so excited to get into a finals with Brisbane. I hope he's not over the top. You know, it's easy to get wound up, and his style of play has become very crash and bash, and he's doing it well. But that can, you know, that can just go a few percent more into the red zone, and he could run foul of the next review officer. All right, well, let's hope that doesn't happen because yeah. he's been terrific for them all season. All right, enough on lines. Let's talk about the minor Premier or McClellan Trophy winner for season 2019. All right, they finished on top of the ladder for 2019, the Geelong Football Club, 16 wins and six losses, and a terrific percentage, streets out of anyone else in the competition, 135.7. And you've got to say, Finey, for all the, um, uh, it's fair to say the second half of the season wasn't nearly as impressive as the first, and yet overall, you've got to say, they really defied most of the critics, including, none the least, the two of us, both of whom had them pegged uh, very much the lower half of the eight. And they were absolutely on song when the season started. Ten wins from the first 11 games and really set the pace. Yeah, this is a side that was so, at one point, I was so impressed by their versatility. Their ability to move players around during a game was second to none. Dangerfield could play midfield or forward, obviously. Uh, Ablett could do likewise. Kelly was controlling the midfield. At that stage, Rhys Stanley, halfway through the season, was performing very well in the ruck. Uh, Blitzavs, either as a key defender or then coming occasionally into the ruck, offered some uh, mobility and options there. And I just thought, here's a team that really has surprised me with the inclusion of the likes of Clark, Myers, Atkins, they'd gone to the next level. The year, unfortunately... Now, Clark made play, apparently, which would be quite the comeback, but... Yeah, he played in the VFL yesterday. But uh, he suffered a serious... Was it arm or elbow? Elbow. Elbow yeah. type injury. Important player, actually, because he's very talented well, Atkins, and quick. Well, Atkins a chance as well. And Atkins. Myers hasn't quite finished the year as well as he started it, so maybe he can get a bit of a boost from the week off. They certainly aren't as good in the second half of the season. Dangerfield gets banged up. Selwood hasn't really got going in a super meaningful way. Kelly's still good, but not quite as brilliant as he was early. Maybe the same for Mitch Duncan. There's room for improvement there. They're a a wise old team, plenty of premiership experience still floating around there and smart players. And the week off for them could be their saviour because I don't think, uh, forget their last game against Carlton, I don't think that they were tracking like premiers before then. I, I, di- I didn't think that either. I just reckon the last three weeks they started to recapture it. And I'm speaking about the wins over North Melbourne. That was the best part of 10 goals. 
the loss to Brisbane in a game that they really should have closed out and won. Yep. Um, that was a pretty reasonable performance. And Carlton, yeah, well, you know, 68 points. They they did what they had to and kicked. Uh, in fact, was that – oh, that was their second highest score of a season. The thing I really noticed about them in those last three weeks, that that, that intense forward half pressure, which had been a, a big key to the first half of the season, I reckon that came back. And I, I reckon uh, Dalhouse was – pivotal to that so he's uh, found some form again I think that that is important for them Gary Rowan back up and about again important for them Um, the possibility of getting Atkins back I think he's more important than some might think Clark just gives them yeah a little bit of something different played more on a wing the longer the season went sort of moved out of defense I'll tell you one thing they've got going for them they do play a tough tight brand of footy they still score, though. In fact, if you want the best example of a balance between um, offense and defense, it's probably the Cats. They they rank second for um, points scored this season behind only Brisbane, and they were the highest-ranked team for fewest points conceded. So they do it defensively. People look at their forward setup and think, it doesn't look that great, but it's, it's effective. And I think Ablett, has started to recapture some form too, certainly did in that last game against the Blues. And a very efficient side too with the chances they create, ranked second uh, in the competition for goals per inside 50 entry. Here's a stat which is interesting, Finey, and uh, we talk about how the best-performed team of the season more often than not doesn't win the flag. You know how many sides that have finished on top of the ladder have won a premiership in the last decade? One. Yep. Hawthorne, 2013. Yep. Geelong in – with the exception of Hawthorne in 2013, Geelong in 07 were the last top side to go on and win the flag. Yep. Now, that just could be a statistical anomaly. Uh, I think there's been some very good top sides, but, you know, it just shows you can be dominant all year and uh, if you don't get it absolutely right uh, in the most crucial games of the year, you might not get what your performance over five months would suggest you deserve. But – I, I think that they've ridden out the storm. I think they're on their way back to where they should have been, and it makes that qualifying final against Collingwood absolutely fascinating prospect. I mean, they haven't played each other since round one, and Geelong won that very narrowly. Collingwood would argue that they can play a lot better than that, but I think perhaps Geelong can as well. So selection will be interesting. Do they pick Clark? Do they pick Atkins? Um how they, they've they fared a lot better on the MCG this year, so that's not necessarily a factor for them. Richmond has been a bit of a, a problem for them, although, having said that, Richmond's, I think Richmond's heaviest defeat of a season almost uh, was against the Cats in um, round, yes, it was, round 12, 67 points. They blew the Tigers away that night. So, you know, they are capable of turning it on. They're capable of playing... Uh, Dower, um, you know, uh, nip and tuck, win the ball from the bottom of the pack, kick it forward. They can scrap it out with the best of them. I think when they flick the switch, um, they're pretty damn good too. And I think they look now more capable of flicking that offensive switch than they were a month ago. So I rate them highly. Um, I've got them coming third in uh, probability of premiership order. Where have you got them? Third. The reason I've got them third is a little bit higher than Collingwood, only because I don't feel at any point 
they've had all cylinders firing. Uh, towards the end of the year, I think the last two games, Hawkins hasn't kicked a goal. He was very good early. Uh, I'm confident that he can refine, regain form. Radigalia not so good at the latter end of the season. Others picking up the slack. If they all fired, they're a wonderful team. Can that happen? I'm not certain. There's also an intangible that some people may say is irrelevant, but it's been the constant referencing of not getting this home final, and I don't believe that that is something that they should have allowed the public to hear their dissatisfaction about. It might be a minor thing, but for me, it speaks of a nervousness that they you know they they shouldn't a, a premiership contender that finishes on top of the ladder or a favourite doesn't mind heading to the MCG to play their finals. I don't like that. I don't like that um, undertone and undercurrent. That being said, if they all fire, who can stop them? I, I can tell you one certainty, Finey, and that is if they win their first final, that home final debate will never be heard of again this September. And if they lose it, it's all you'll hear about in terms of Geelong. Yeah, and unfortunately it should have been put to bed weeks ago and not even considered as we head into the finals. But it seems to keep being a blip. All right. It has a little heartbeat. There is our rundown on all the eight finalists. Now we'll just quickly run through our uh, flag probability from eighth very to similar. first. Very similar, you and I. Okay, so uh, yours finding off the top from I, eighth to first. I have Essendon. Yep. GWS. Yep. Brisbane. Yep. Western Bulldogs. Uh-huh. Collingwood. Geelong. West Coast, Richmond. Very, very similar. I have Essendon, GWS, Western Bulldogs, Brisbane, Collingwood, Geelong, West Coast, and Richmond. So we only trade West, uh, Western Bulldogs and Brisbane. Great minds and all that. You know how it works. All right. Uh, hope you got something out of that. I think, finally, it's time we got fired up. What do you reckon? Let's rant off. Let's do it. On Footyology. The rant off. Okay, finally, some pretty rich material to work with this bye weekend. Uh, I don't want to mess around. I want you to count me straight in. Fly away at 3 2 1. I'm pissed off with this pre-finals by Finey. Yeah, okay, I know it's been a bit of a hobby horse of mine for three years now, but this one isn't just a little Shetland pony type horse. It's a big mother of a Trojan horse job that's parked its ass inside football's front gates and there's a whole army of insidious threats to the integrity of the final series ready to jump out and take over the joint. Make no mistake, my friend, this is how those dickheads thirsting for finals wildcards are going about softening all of us up. Change the format. Change the structure. Shift the goalposts until we can't remember what traditions we're actually trying to protect. If you ask me, it's no coincidence two preliminary final favourites in Geelong and Richmond have been rolled since the pre finals by came in, both after playing just one game in three weeks. You play for five months, week in, week out, then you go into some sort of hibernation again at the most important time of the year? It's madness. My sources at Punt Road tell me the Tigers were so out of the habit by the time they actually got to play that preliminary final against Collingwood last year, they had to be taught the rules of the game again. Even some big American bloke playing for the Pies seemed to have a better handle on the basics than they did. As for the other end of the eight, 
Well, you don't reckon the Bulldogs didn't benefit from that week off back in 2016? That allowed them to get Liberatore, McRae, Wood and Ruffhead all back in harness to knock over the Eagles in Perth. So valuable was the break. It wasn't even just those guys. By the time the Dogs actually ran onto Subiaco, they had Kelvin Templeton completely over his dicky knee and raring to go, while John Schultz's arthritis was a complete memory, and he had to be physically restrained from running out there with them. So there's your integrity issues. Now what about the complete interruption to the momentum of the season? One of the reasons the AFL gave us for this complete overreaction to a couple of teams resting some players a few years back was that this week off would give us a chance to celebrate the season we'd had and honour the best performers. But there's been so many bloody awards ceremonies crammed into the past seven days, I'm getting them all mixed up. Seriously, Fanny, help me out here. Did Sam Walsh win the Rising Star or The Bachelor? How did Marnus Labuschagne get an All-Australian gong? Speaking of the All-Australian night, I seem to have missed the coverage. I did turn on Fox footy, but all I could find was Jared Waitley sitting on a couch impersonating Michael Parkinson. All I was missing was a pissed, boorish Oliver Reed. Oh, hang on, actually, I think he was hosting another segment. And how about the EJ Witten Legends game? They couldn't even leave that alone. We can't just have some former greats playing a game of footy out at Footscray like we used to. No, no, we've got to have AFLX on a rectangular ground, radio jocks who can't even get boot to ball, and final scores are something like 348 points apiece. No wonder they were hardly packing them in the aisles. I reckon there might have actually been more people in the commentary box than sitting in the stands. What was everyone else doing? I suppose what I was forced to do this weekend, reconnect with my family. That meant cooking, shopping and cleaning. Yeah, great. For six months, I've been able to get out of all that and convince my better half that Red Rooster loaded chips actually cover all the basic food groups. This weekend, I couldn't even get away with that. I'm buggered if I even know what we were buying, but someone told me later it was apparently called fruit and vegetables. And don't worry, I managed to put aside a few overripe tomatoes to lob at certain AFL officials next time I see them. Putting at risk finals integrity is one thing, Gil, but robbing us antisocial bastards of an excuse to hide away from the real world every weekend is just a bloody bridge too far. Ripper. Except the bit that I could have used. But it was great. I know you're not a fan of the boy. I'm not a fan of the boy for several reasons. And I understand All right, let's fully what they are. And I know you want to expand on something I covered in my rant, oh, so away you go. Three, two, one, rant. <coughs> Sorry, I'm still vomiting from the Legends game on Friday night. This has now gone from the barely sublime through the ridiculous onto vaudeville, Harlem Globetrotters, past world championship wrestling, and now into the world of kiddie cartoon fun. What a surprise. It was a draw. 275 points apiece. An interesting scoreline, I must say. But most disturbing is the notion that because it's for a good cause, which it is, and bears the name of a legend of the game, E.J. Witten, that it is beyond criticism, and anybody that does criticise what has become a farcical run around or walk around for players just to yak into a microphone and have the occasional kick, we are not allowed to criticise it. Okay, it's a great cause, but let me tell you, the one person that would have been most disgusted by what has morphed into nothing more than idiocy is E.J. Witten himself. The man liked a contest and had enough pride even post his playing days. If he pulled on a Guernsey, he wouldn't have walked around like a fool 
dictated to by TV directors who want a close finish, comedians getting shots at goal, and a script to be followed. Maybe the most embarrassing thing, though, was the coverage. Not only on TV, but then on the AFL website itself afterwards. Giving it the gravitas it did not deserve. Oh, this is going to be a contest in the end, opined Brian Taylor. Wait till the last few minutes, then the old juices will kick in. I don't know what Juicy was talking about. Jungle juice, maybe. And poor Sarah Black uh, from afl.com.au, given the job of writing the game. Her first paragraph said it all. Jared Waite was a key figure in giving Victoria a dramatic win in this year's EJ Witten's Legend game. She probably wrote it three days before the game because it was fully scripted. It's become garbage, stupidity. There actually is something to be said for old players settling a few scores. And what can best be described as Australian self-cringe, anybody that tries too hard gets the Richie Vandenberg Award. Poor Richie, the last person not to get the memo that this is a piss take, an embarrassment and something that should be either revamped or sent down the refuse chute. Very good. Very impassioned, and uh, I've got to say, barely a person in Melbourne who uh, seemed to disagree with you going on the reaction on Twitter. Oh, it was crap, Ola. I arrived, I arrived home about halfway through the game and uh, casually asked whether it was worth watching. <laughs> Absolutely inundated with responses. I watched anyway. Yeah, it was crap. It was crap. Do you think AJ would be rolling in the, in the grave? Look, he, he wouldn't approve of it. There used to be some contests, you know, they, it wasn't taken super seriously, but in the early days, it was played as a game. Why not? Well, all I can say Have is... Have a look at the crowd. Yeah, well, what, I noticed the absence of any official crowd figure. Yeah, and poor old, you know, that band that sings the McDonald Tip and Witty song? Yeah, Picket Palace. They had to perform at halftime, then you hit Rick Show mm. with substandard um, audio. audio to a... Less than captivated crowd. Mm. And the only footage they could do, you, you could think the broadcaster could at least when the McDonald Tip and Woody song's going on, show some highlights. But poor old Mac Tip was sort of forced out onto the ground and it was just shots of the band, you know, trying to create some sort of musical um, uh, atmosphere for the crowd and Mac Tip filming it on his phone. I saw that. It was stupid. I saw that. Uh, well, I did say on Twitter, finally, and I'll say it again, never underestimate the capacity of corporate media interests to suck the spontaneity, inspiration, excitement out of virtually anything by milking it for all it's worth in terms of cheap self-promotion. Yeah. If, if you take out everything good about sport, which is the unexpected, the true reality of anything can happening, the contest, the the personal pride and ambition of people that play it, if you take that all out of sport, you get what you had on Friday night. No, I concur wholeheartedly. All right, we got that off our chest. Let's wrap this baby up. On Footyology, the final word. All right, uh, we held over announcing the winner of our most recent competition till tonight, but the time has come, finally. We asked people to recall their best memory of a non-AFL game, uh, state leagues, suburban leagues, you name it, they could mention it. 
And uh, we were flooded with entries and some fantastic reminiscing was done, mainly by us, but by our correspondents as well. What were some of their pick of the entries? See, there's some beauties here. Let's go through some of the runners-up. I want to start with Peter Brudenell. ACT versus Victoria. Do you remember this State of Origin game? Uh, if it was State one game? I'm thinking of, yes. who won? The ACT. 1980. Yep. Uh, it was a weekend. Victoria had three state sides. They won playing in Tassie. Yep. And the first side, I think, played WA. 13-17 to 11-16. Victoria certainly had a fair team. Malcolm Blight was playing. Trevor Barker, Mark McClure, Francis Burke, to name a few. The only real notables for the ACT were as a, an ageing captain coach, the cowboy Kevin Neal yep. and Jezza. Oh, you beauty. Uh, I think, um, was it Alan Aylett who described it as the worst Victorian team ever to take the field? Apparently. Yeah. Not bad. Great entry, that great moment for Canberra football. Certainly was. Another of our runners-up, Liam Spencer, who's won previously remembers a game between Claremont and Peel Thunder, round 10, 2010 in the Waffle, where Claremont kicked 38 goals and won by 194 points. But he remembers it because his high school teacher, Andrew Ruck, played for Claremont. Interestingly, Andrew Ruck was in the Ruck. Of course he was. Didn't kick a goal and would have got the (laughs) uh, necessary ribbing from the students. So who got all the goals? Uh, uh, well, Chad Jones, who's been mentioned ah, before on this program. Favourite of ours. Kicked a, a handful of both hands, 10. Ah, lovely. I think there was a – did he uh, mention I, – I did see that entry. There were a couple of others uh, mentioned too in that uh, that entry from Ari. And there was the uh, – one of my favourite games, which I actually have on video cassette, the 1978 Sandful Grand Final between Sturt and Norwood. Poor old Sturt. You reckon Geelong um, were a bit stiff in 2008. Sturt did not lose a game through the entire 78 season and had Norwood on toast but just couldn't kick straight. We're still about five goals up at three-quarter time, having kicked, oh, it's ridiculous, it was like 8.28 or something like that. And uh, Norwood came flying home and got up by a point, uh, courtesy of a very controversial umpire's call and a match-winning goal to Phil Gallagher. He also mentioned the 72 Champions of Australia game where North Adelaide beat Carlton by one point, a match I was fortunate enough to see as a seven-year-old. A couple of honourable mentions. Another former winner, Ari Vlahos, remembers a state game with South Australia Pants WA with eight McGarry medalists. Neil Baum was coach. He was actually younger than the captain, Malcolm Blight. That doesn't happen often. And we got fa- a winner, though. Famously, Blight, he had a couple of cigarettes that afternoon. Another one from Simon Platt, nicknamed Petal, remembers a St Kilda game versus Queensland. That was a qualifying game for the night series that St Kilda had finished last in the early 80s and they had to play a game against Queensland and it showcased a young Jason Dunstall. But as a St Kilda supporter... And St Kilda won by two or three points against a team of unknowns. Uh, a midfield of Keel, Cross, Odgers, Stone and a bloke called Mulrooney. Uh, probably the worst outfit a bad St Kilda <laughs> club at that time had ever put on the field. But the winner is Rob Dickens from Tassie. 1967, apparently they, you know, they've got different comps there. The NTFU, the NW, all yeah, the, yeah. the three major comps played off 
for the state champion. Oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, go and on, it tell ended up story. being North Hobart versus Wynyard. Yep. On a very windy day, Wynyard led by 20 points at three-quarter time, only to be hunted down by North Hobart in the final quarter. And, well, 1967 was the year, the year that Royce Hart played in a famous flag for the Richmond, and back in his home state, North Hobart were declared the best team in the land. Well, their land, anyhow, Van Diemen's land. And he's our winner, Rob Dickens. I thought the uh, the story about that was about the no result from the state championship final between North Hobart and Wynyard. The no result? Yes. Well, explain what happened. Well, of course, uh, a player, uh, who was it, Collins? What was his first name? David Dickey Collins yep. took a mark right on final siren time, 30 metres out for North Hobart. A Wynyard player knocked the ball from Collins' hands shortly after the mark was taken. Collins was awarded a 10-metre penalty. And the crowd, who believed that the siren had already gone, promptly invaded the ground. They couldn't restart the game. And then they, uh, the crowd absconded with the goalposts. And um, they then had a meeting over the ensuing days to decide whether they replayed it, came back and played the last few minutes, let him take the kick or whatever. In the end, they declared a no result. So there was no statewide premier. In what? 1967 in Tasmania. Good effort, Rob. Great You're entry, Rob. You're our winner. You win an Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt in your size, an Andrews Hamburgers cap, and a magnificent 100% organic cotton argan gym towel. Time to go, Finey. We'll be back on Thursday for our preview. Big thank you to Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bill Co. and Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, I was going to say Port Melbourne, but it's Albert Park. We're going to leave you with something. We had one of these today in lieu of any finals football. It is lazy Sunday afternoon by the small faces. We'll see you on Thursday.